Well, good morning. Welcome. And if you have your Bibles, open them up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 13. Our series is called Mercy Triumphs. And if you think about the book of James, there are a bunch of sections of it. And James is a really hard book to outline. And you know that because if you look at any commentary where people have outlined the book of James, none of them are the same. They're all different. But as you think about these different sections, one of the things that I think about as I look at it is that each section is either God pouring out his mercy on us or it's God saying, I've been merciful to you. Now you need to be merciful to others. And so that's mercy triumphs. And this morning we're going to be looking at the truth about temptation. And uh, God's mercy is clearly seen in the truth about temptation because God removes the power of temptation from our lives by explaining how temptation works and by giving believers a new nature. Salvation really overcomes temptation. And, and through salvation, we have the power through the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation, to overcome the penalty when we blow it for temptation. And so salvation really is the most amazing expression of God's grace and mercy. And it is what overcomes temptation. But we also find out from a different passage, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, that God supernaturally limits the temptation that we face. So we'll dig into that. But I want to just think about this. It is so important to know how things work. I remember uh, reading a story about Henry Ford, and he had hired this brilliant person to come fix his assembly line. And he could not figure out how to fix it, and people were trying to do it. So he, he, he hires this guy, and he comes in, and he's there for like an hour or two, and he fixes the assembly line. And then he, he gives Henry Ford a bill for $10,000. And this was back when that was a lot of money. And, and Henry Ford says, um, man, you were here for like an hour, an hour or two, and you're billing me $10,000? What's the deal with that? So he rewrites a bill, he sends it back, and he says, $10 for tinkering and $9,990 for knowing where to tinker. <laughs> and the, the reality is that when we understand how things work, it helps us address them properly. And that's one of the things that we learn about temptation. Now, I want you to think about temptation. As you think about the Bible, the, the people in Scripture that were devastated because they didn't handle temptation properly. Like I think about King David, right? Here's this, this faithful, righteous man, and when he was supposed to be out at war, instead he stayed home, so he was where he shouldn't have been, and he's looking over the window, and he sees some beautiful woman bathing, and he shouldn't have been up on the roof looking at her bathing either. And then we follow that story through. He ends up having an affair, murdering somebody. Uh, we just look at this devastating thing that happens in this faithful man's life because he didn't deal with temptation properly. Think about the nation of Israel, right? Do you guys remember the story of Balaam? That's the, the talking donkey story. And remember this, this leader wants to curse the nation of Israel. And so he gets Balaam and he says, I'll give you lots of money if you'll curse them. And so Balaam goes up, and, and on the way, this donkey stops him, and, and he sees an angel, and basically God communicates to him in that situation, you can only say what I tell you to say, or I'll kill you. And so he goes, and he says to the king, I can only say what God tells me to say, no matter how much money you give me. And so he's supposed to curse Israel, but what he does is he blesses them every time. 
And the king is just so frustrated. I'm paying you to curse them and you just keep blessing them. And so we find out later in scripture that Balaam never curses them. But he tells the king, uh, you want to undermine Israel like it's this nation. You want to bring God's punishment into their life. I'll tell you what to do. I can't curse them, but I'll tell you how to, how to mess them up, how to get what you want. And so he says, uh, send this false nation out there, send out a bunch of prostitutes, and the nation of Israel will engage in false idol worship, and they'll be sexually immoral, and then I don't have to curse them. They'll bring God's curse upon themselves. And so after that story in the book of Judges, you read about this event that happens in Israel's life where they go fall into sin, and you realize that it was Balaam that planted that seed. Uh, that, that caused that to happen. And so for us as believers, as we think about temptation, it's really important for us to understand how it works so that we can overcome it. Now, when you think about temptation, uh, one of the things that is kind of surprising in this passage that we're going to look at this morning is it, it kind of focuses the attention a little bit differently than what you would expect. So a few things about temptation, and and I don't want to, we need to put everything together that God says, and so this morning we're going to focus on a particular element of temptation, but we can't forget the big picture, all the things that God tells us, but there's a few verses I want to look here. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be of sober spirit, be on the, the alert, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we're in a spiritual battle, Ephesians 6 tells us, We need to be aware of that, and Satan wants to destroy you through sin. Matthew 4, 3, Jesus goes out into the wilderness, and it says here, the tempter, that's Satan, the tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread, and then there's this description of Satan tempting Jesus and Jesus resisting that temptation, And then you look at 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, for this reason, when I can endure it no longer, this is Paul writing, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor might be in vain. So the Bible clearly tells us that Satan is active and involved in temptation. But our passage is going to teach us that when we sin, we can't say the devil made me do it. And so we learn something about temptation, and what we're going to learn is that temptation actually doesn't come from Satan, but Satan uses your temptation. He uses temptation in your life against you, but we need to think about what exactly is the source of temptation. So I'm just going to tell you real quick what we're going to learn this morning. So if you have to leave early, you can actually leave in like one minute because you'll know everything I'm going to say. So here's what we learn about temptation. Number one, it does not come from God. Number two, it comes from our sinful desires. That's actually where temptation comes from. And it starts a spiral in our life that leads to death if we don't deal with it correctly. And temptation is overcome by God's work and salvation. So those are the things we're going to learn from the book of James And then I'm going to give you three pieces of advice and we'll just talk about them quickly at the end of how to deal with temptation in your life. You avoid it, you flee from it, and you repent whenever you blow it. So that's, that's okay. Um, Thank you for coming. It's good seeing you this morning. All right, let's look at James chapter one, verse 13. And it says this, 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, so temptation doesn't come from God. We learn from that. It comes, we're going to learn later, it comes from ourselves. So don't blame God when you're tempted. Now, this is interesting. In, in the first section, the first 12 verses of James, it talks about how trials and how God uses trials in our life to perfect our character. And so God's in control of those trials, all the trials that we face, and ultimately, God is also in control of our temptation. But he's not the one who ever tempts us. And it's interesting how often, and think about this in your own life, have you ever faced sin in your life? Have you ever faced temptation? And when you blow it and you feel terrible about it or you see these difficult circumstances in your life, have you ever had a tendency to blame God? Hey, God, you could have stopped this. Why would you let this happen? I was thinking about Adam and Eve, right? Um, Adam gets tempted. And what's his response? Um, God, you gave me this woman. And look what she did. So he blames a woman, but ultimately blames God for his temptation. And so we learn that God is never the one who's responsible for our temptation. Now, one of the things that's interesting that you see in this passage, and this is actually true throughout the Bible, is when we learn about God's nature and character, it actually informs how we live. And so the things that we believe about God are actually very important. And when we believe the wrong things about God's nature or character, when we don't understand him correctly, that actually has ramifications in how we live. And so it says, talks about God's character and temptation. God is not tempted by evil. So there's nothing in God that looks at evil and thinks, ooh, that seems attractive and I want to do that. Evil has no pull on God. And God doesn't tempt anyone. Now let's think about this for a second. Um, This is a dumb illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. You ever think about how people sometimes talk about Christianity as being, oh, it's just a bunch of rules. Uh, God's just giving me tons of rules, and I don't really want to follow rules. Well, if you were to take that type of a discussion of life and, and transfer it into the four-year-old class in Sunday school, it would go something like this. Uh, one four-year-old would say, my parents are so mean. Um, I want to take two knives out of the butcher block and run around in the backyard with it, and my parents say no. And another kid, I, I know exactly how you feel because there's all these cool-looking bottles of chemicals underneath the cabinet, and my mom says I'm not allowed to drink those. And then another kid would say, well, that ain't nothing. I was running around in the yard the other day, and I was really, really cold and kind of had a chill, and I wanted to go lay down on the concrete in the middle of the street, kind of warm up from that temperature, and my mom said, I am not allowed to go lay down in the street. That's God's description of sin. When he says, this is bad, don't do that, it's because it hurts us. It's a bad thing for us. And sometimes, from our perspective, things that would destroy us seem good. But God knows everything. God has perfect character. And God never looks at something like sin that's destructive and thinks, who I'd like to do that. And so God is, can't be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. Now this is actually, when we think about Jesus, this is an amazing thing. How is it that Jesus, being God, was tempted? Since God can't be tempted by evil. 
But what we find out is that's actually why Jesus took on humanity, because in his deity, he wasn't tempted. But as a human, the Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. God can't be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, the question then is, where does temptation come from? Let's look at James 1.14. But each one is tempted, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So temptation comes from the sinful desires in your life. And this is where we actually learn something else theological about people. And that is that we are born sinners. You are not just a sinner because you do things that are wrong. You are a sinner because you do things wrong. But the reason that you do things wrong is because your nature, your character is broken. That's actually what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Every human inherited a sinful nature and a sinful flesh. And so this brokenness inside of ourselves is what is attracted to sin. Um, Psalm 151.5, King David was just saying this. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, he's not saying that my mom was immoral. He's just saying that I was born a sinful person. And it goes on, Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 14 through chapter 8, it actually talks about our sinful flesh. Now, you still have a sinful flesh even after you become a Christian. We're going to come back to what later what God does in salvation in our life. But even as a believer, God's given you a new nature but you still have a sinful flesh. This is what the Apostle Paul says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm in flesh sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then he talks about this battle of his flesh. And so we are, this sin comes from inside us, and it's a sin that we were born with. But the other thing for us to think about in relation to sin is that sin is also something that comes from what we cultivate in our life. Like think about temptations. When you think about the temptations, the difficulties, the things that you struggle with, it sometimes is things we're born with and then you add to that the things that we cultivate. You know, Proverbs tells us, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. We're supposed to guard what goes into our heart. We're supposed to guard what goes into our mind because what we put in comes out. And sometimes we cultivate things. And there are a lot of temptations. If you think about it, if you would have honored God and obeyed God in your life, and sometimes if as a kid growing up, you got good advice and good guidance and good protection, there are potentially sin struggles that you currently have that you wouldn't have. In fact, that's one of the jobs of a parent as they're raising their kids is to teach them what God says and to make boundaries so that kids can't get to the things they want to get to that destroy them. Like I thought about as a kid growing up after I became a Christian, I had a lot of really bad habits in my life. There were a lot of things that I was really struggling with 
And it was because of these habits that I had formed in my life before I was a Christian. And I just remember thinking, I really wish that my parents would have said no to some of the things that they said yes to. I really wish that my parents were aware of some of the things that I was doing that they had no idea I was doing. And had they been aware of those things and had they built some boundaries in my life and said no and you can't go here and you can't go hang out with that group and you cannot put yourself in this situation. See, at that time in my life, I didn't have a spiritual compass guiding me. And I needed somebody else to put some boundaries around me. And so that was one of our goals as parents is to be aware of what was going on in our kids' lives, to talk to our kids about things that were going on, And even before our kids were spiritually driven and motivated to help avoid some of the temptations that they may cultivate in their life. And I'll just give you an example. If somebody is really trying to trip me up and they are thinking, okay, we want to mess up Roger's life. What can we do? If somebody sneaks into my office and they put a little syringe with some heroin in it on my desk... When I come in in the morning, I'm going to look at that and think, what is that? And it's not going to be a temptation of any kind. Somebody could throw a pack of cigarettes on my desk and it would not be a temptation in any way to me. I've never taken heroin, and, and I do remember one time I smoked a cigarette, and it was like this terrible thing. I thought, that is horrible. So that's not a temptation to me either. But I just want you to know that there are things, while those are not a temptation to me, there are things in my life that I have been involved in that then become a temptation. And so that's why in some ways all our temptations are different. But some of that is related to what we have cultivated in our life. And so this temptation, it does come from within us. And it says here, Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. And so we need to be people that are very careful and that we shut things down and we don't allow these desires. We don't cultivate sinful desires. And it's something we need to do for ourselves, but it's also something that we need to do to help the people that God's given us to care for and shepherd. Okay. Uh, I heard a story about this Eskimo who had these two fighting dogs and one was black and one was white. And he would run this gambling ring. And so every week he'd come up and these two dogs would fight and everybody would bet on it. And he would bet too. And they were his dogs. He would bet. And um, sometimes the white dog would win and sometimes the black dog would win. But the Eskimo who had these dogs, he was always betting on the winning side. And afterwards, somebody comes to him and says, how can you tell? How do you know which dog is going to win? And he just says, ah, it's easy. See, I starve one all week, and then the one I want to win, I feed that one. So whichever dog I feed, that's the one who wins. When you think about your flesh, think about temptation, you think about those kinds of things, and whichever part of your life, if you're feeding your spiritual life, then that side's going to win. If you're feeding the flesh in your life, then that's going to win. And so part of our job is to figure out how to starve our sinful flesh, and how to feed our spirit. And so uh, let's look at the third thing here. Um, So what is this temptation? It comes from our flesh, 
but we find out that temptation begins a spiral that will lead to death if we don't stop it. James 1.15 says, Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Look at that path, the steps. And I think that's one of the things that Satan does. It's why you hear people say Christianity is just a bunch of rules. That's part of Satan's lies to say, oh, these things, they're really good for you. These things will really make you happy. And God's just trying to stop you from having fun. Those are all lies. Everything God tells you is what is in your best interest And it is an incredible blessing, which is why we study scripture. It's why we do whatever it says, whether it makes sense to us or not, because God's always right. And sometimes the way we look at things is wrong. And so we see that there's this path. That's one of Satan's lies. He always says that it promises life when in reality it delivers death. Look at uh, 1 Peter 2.11 on the Screen there, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and, ex, ex, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Now, when we understand what's at stake and that temptation always leads to death, we're going to take seriously temptation. And that's actually sin is something we should fight at the level of temptation. Don't wait until it gets down the road. Fight it right away. And Jesus actually tells us that sin starts in our mind, right? He tells us that if you look with a woman for lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And, and so, you know, this is how Satan works. Well, I've already committed lust. That's I've already sinned before God, so I might as well do it because it's the same thing. And you see how Satan does that. It's not the same thing. It is sin, but it's not the same thing. Thinking about adultery and committing adultery, those are not the same thing. They bring different consequences with them. And we need to be people that are fighting sin in our minds. If you allow sin to run away with your mind, eventually that will turn into an action. And eventually, and then now you've planted seeds that are going to go on. So we need to deal with sin in our mind at the very first step before we're destroyed by it. And so we need to be people that see the devastation of where temptation leads. Um, Jesus dealt with temptation in a pretty radical way. And this is what Jesus says. He says, first of all, in Mark 9, verse 42 and following, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones that believe in me to sin, it's better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. And then as you read the New Testament, it talks about how careful we're supposed to be to not do things that cause other people to sin. In fact, the apostle Paul says, If your Christian freedom leads another person to sin, then stop whatever it is that you're doing that you have the freedom to do. So maybe you have the freedom to go watch something, but if you go watch it, it leads another person down a path they shouldn't go through. Well, then don't ever watch anything. In fact, Paul talks about eating and drinking. 
and just says, hey, I'm not going to eat anything that causes my brother to sin. I'm not going to drink anything that causes my brother to sin. So we're supposed to take temptation not only in our life but in other people's lives really seriously, so seriously that we'll modify what we like to do and what's okay for us to do for the sake of others. But then Jesus goes on and he says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your right foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Jesus says, when it comes to dealing with sin, you need to do whatever it takes to deal with it. Now think about people's internet struggles. That can be a big deal. And, um, but if you think about it, you should take a step back and say, what am I willing to sacrifice to deal with that temptation in my life? And what it comes down to, if you have to get rid of your phone, if you have to get rid of the internet, if you have to get rid of your computer, then do it. This is something that you, you take a step back when you blow it and you say, okay, what do I need to change so that that never happens again? And it's not just that, it's anything. I remember as a new believer, I didn't have any good advice in my life. So I became a Christian. I still hung out with all the same people doing all the same kinds of things. And I just decided I'll be different. And I remember one time I got in a car. I can't remember if I've ever told this story here or not, but I'll tell it again if I have. One time I get in the car with my best friend. We're going to the movies, and the movie theater was a mile from my house. And so there's, I get in the car. There's a six-pack of beer on the floor, and I'm 18 years old. And so it's not legal for me to drink. But we sit in the car. While we're driving to the movie theater, I drank three beers really fast. And then we went into the movies. And as I'm sitting in the movies, I, it occurred to me, oh, that's right, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and I wasn't going to do that anymore. But it was just such a habit that I did it without even thinking about it. Now, nobody gave me advice. I never told anybody about that. But the next day... After we went to the movies and I went home and slept and then I woke up and then I called my friend and I said, I just want you to know I love you. You are my best friend and I love hanging out with you. But last night, I, you know I became a Christian recently. I told you about that. And last night I drank on the way to the movie theater. And, and I have these bad habits in my life and I just do things without thinking about it. So I love you, but I can't hang out with you anymore because I need to change habits in my life. And he was my best friend. He was the one that I hung out with. But that led me into sin, and I just said, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. By the way, that is normal behavior for a Christian. A Christian just says, God, I love you, and I'll do anything to obey you. And if doing these things leads me into sin, I'm not going to do those things anymore. Uh, I know people who have broken up. They've been engaged, but they're physically active and sexually, you know, they're sexually active. And a believer will just say, you know what? I can't be around you without sinning. So even though we're engaged, I'm breaking up because I love God more than I love you. That's normal behavior for a Christian. They say, God, I love you. And no matter what, I'm going to honor you and obey you in my life. And I'm going to run away from sin because I know that this is destructive. Uh, when it comes to those kinds of things, you know, um, temptation and falling into sin and those kinds of things, they're not an accident. If we understand temptation correctly, if we understand our own flesh well enough, we can make decisions that will help us avoid falling into sin. There was a gentleman, his name was Timothy Treadwell. And uh, how many of you guys have ever seen that movie, Cheers? Um, 
Do you guys know Woody Harrelson, the role that he played in that? So there were two actors going for that position. Well, <laughs> Timothy's the one who didn't get the role, so we, we don't know who he is. But he was going for that role. And after he didn't get that role, he got into wildlife, and he started hanging out with bears, grizzly bears in Alaska. And he kind of was known as the grizzly man. They actually made a movie about him. But he would kind of hang out with bears and kind of walk over and pet them and things like that. And everybody said... Dude, this, this is a dumb idea. You shouldn't be doing that. These are wild animals. And he just kept doing those things. And one day they found him. He was playing with these bears that are dangerous, destructive creatures. And people were warning him. And he started to get used to it. And he just felt like, ah, oh, you know, we have a... In fact, I think he said, we have a mutual respect for one another. Uh, sometimes in our life, we have a mutual respect with sinful things. But they ended up finding him. Um, he got eaten by bears. They went to go pick him up. He got eaten. They found his arm with a watch on it left. And a bear ate him, and a bear ate his girlfriend who was with him. That's sin. You might think you're doing okay and that you're, you're, you're getting along with it, but it will destroy your life. And that's why when we understand that temptation is inside of us, we start to avoid the things that lead us into temptation. See, the thing is, you can't get away from you. So you got to get you away from the places where you have an opportunity to fall. Uh, I was really thankful for one of my uh, ministry teachers early in ministry, and he talked about this a lot, and just how you need to avoid tempting situations. And one of the things that he said is, if you're married, don't ever go hang out alone with women that you're not married to. And you just avoid that situation. You can be friends with women, but you and your wife be friends with those women. And you see so many people that make decisions that, you know what, that guy, he pats some bears and he got away with it. And you see so many people making choices, putting themselves in a situation that will eventually blow up. Maybe not today and maybe not tomorrow, but it will the next day. And that's where we need to look at these things and just say, where are the opportunities where I can blow it? I love God enough, and I'm smart enough to realize I'm weak, and I'm going to avoid those situations. And for many of us, we have different weaknesses, different temptations, and we need to figure out those things in our life, and we need to make plans to avoid them. Okay, so... We need to be very careful, and we need to realize that when you fall into sin, it wasn't an accident. That was you being foolish. And when we see that happen to other people, we need to say, okay, what are the steps that they took to get there? I'm not going to take the steps they took. And when you fall into sin, what are the steps I get here? How can I rewind and avoid those things? So here's the ultimate way that temptation is overcome. Look at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is good, he gives good things, and his nature never changes. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So God saves us. You notice here it says, that by his own will he brought us forth. God's the one who reaches into our life and saves us. At some point we're going to talk about salvation. You know, you think about the church 
The church's job is to share the gospel and bring people to know the Lord, to, to have people come to salvation, and then to help them grow and to live out what it means to be a Christian. But you know what I think is interesting? There's tons of people that go to church but can't actually define a Christian. In their mind, they, they, they don't know what a Christian is, and the Bible's explained that to us, what a Christian believes, but then also how does salvation work its way out in our behavior? Because there's all kinds of religious people that aren't going to heaven. And some of the religious people who are not going to heaven are in other religions. And some of the religious people who are not going to heaven sit in church every week at good, faithful, Bible-believing churches. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians thirteen five, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So we're supposed to be evaluating that because it, what a tragedy it would be for a person to sit in church every week and to die and to stand before Jesus like he talks about in Matthew 7 and for him to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So this is not for this morning, but at some point we need to talk through what exactly is a Christian and how do you know? And how do you test yourself? And are you testing yourself? Because how can we help people come to know the Lord if we're not even clear on what that is? So here's the greatest gift that God gives in helping us overcome temptation is salvation. He saves us. Romans chapter 5 just says that where sin increases, God's grace increases even more. The more you sin, the more there is of God's grace to forgive you. You can never outsin God's forgiveness in your life. And then Romans chapter 6 talks about what happens when a person becomes a Christian. See, before you're a Christian, you are a slave to sin. You have no choice but to sin. But after you become a Christian, God changes your nature and you actually become a slave to righteousness. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then later on in chapter 6, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient to the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You know, there's so many people who go to church, and they show up to church because they want their life to be better. They kind of want to learn how to be a good person. And ultimately, you can show up and learn some really good things because God's smart. He made you, God made the world, and it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. If you do things the way that God says to do them, life's going to be better for you. But when it comes down to it ultimately, you'll never be able to really resist temptation or avoid sin. You can trade one sin for another. In fact, I remember uh, I had a neighbor who was a hell's angel, and he went to prison, and I actually met him after he got out of prison. And we used to hang out, and he'd work on his car, and, and I would talk to him, and he completely turned his life around. Went to prison for selling drugs, and he had all these big issues in his life. And, and I just remember hanging out with him while he was working on his car, and he says, you know, I met a lot of people in prison who became Christians, and God helped them turn their life around. And he says, you know what, I didn't need that. I didn't need God to turn my life around. I just made a decision. I'm on a dead-end road, and I'm getting off it. He quit taking drugs. He had his driver's license suspended for five years. And for five years, I watched him work on a car and he never got behind the wheel. He cleaned up his life without God. 
And there's a lot of people who show up on church on Sunday, and that's what they're trying to do. But the Bible tells us that God really overcomes temptation. And by the way, that's all wonderful. I'm happy for him. But when he leaves this world, he'll be separated from God unless he comes to know the Lord. And so ultimately, it's like rearranging chairs on the Titanic. What does it really matter? The ship is sinking. But God, through salvation, changes our nature and our character and allows us to say no to sin. So he overcomes temptation by giving us an ability to say no. And also, our last point, which we'll come back to at the end, is we can repent. That's also part of salvation. But there's another thing that God does to overcome temptation in our life. And this we don't find in James, but I want to show it to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So as you face temptation, sometimes you feel like, I'm the only one who's gone through this. And God says, no, you don't go through anything that everybody doesn't go through. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Have you ever faced a temptation that you felt you could not resist? I I just know in my life there have been things I thought, I don't want to do that, but then I do it. You know, it's like every, you ever have pride crop up in your life or any number of things. You say, I want to be gracious and humble. I want to be kind. I don't want to get angry. Have you ever gone home? I remember after becoming a Christian, I used to fight and yell at my parents. And I remember going home and just saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. And within five minutes, I'm yelling at my parents. Sometimes temptation feels irresistible, but we actually know that's not true. We can overcome temptation because God never lets us face a temptation that's too powerful. And so temptation is ultimately overcome by salvation. Okay, I want to give you a a few quick bullet points and then we're going to get out of here this morning. You got to get on with the rest of your day. So here's the first one. We need to avoid possible temptations. When you know that sin is in you and when you know that temptation comes from your own flesh and how powerful that is, You need to avoid every place that you could possibly be tempted. In my life, I pray that weakness and opportunity never meet. That on the days that I meet, the the days that I'm weak, there's no opportunity. And that at the days that I have opportunity, I won't be weak. And one of the ways that I try to fight that battle is try to make sure I never have opportunity. So if I look at a situation and say, There may be some temptation there. I try to figure out how to overcome that. And so we need to avoid tempting situations. And a lot of Christians deal with so much sin and so much devastation in their life because they're foolish. And we need to stop being foolish. Here's a second thing. Oh, by the way, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Remember the verse on God never letting us be tempted? This is the one that comes right before that. Have you ever seen somebody heading into a tempting situation and say, I can handle it? Anybody who says I can handle it is definitely not going to handle it. When your parents say, hey, this is a bad group of friends. No, I can handle it, mom. Hey, that's not a good situation for you and your boyfriend to be in. Hey, mom, I can handle it. Anybody who says I can handle it is going down, either today or tomorrow. So if you ever say the words I can handle it, you can't. Uh, God said it. Okay, here's the next one. You flee. 
So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace among those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. So Joseph, this woman's going after him in the Bible day after day, and finally she grabs a hold of him, and he runs. We need to be people that run away from temptation. But part of how we run away is to make sure we're doing the right thing that we're supposed to be doing. Think about this. God has a plan for every moment of your day. So if you're ever doing the wrong thing, that actually means that there was a right thing that you were supposed to be doing. Some people get in trouble late at night on the internet, and then they wake up and they're too tired to go to work. Well, if you were sleeping like God intended for you to be sleeping, you wouldn't have had an opportunity to do that. I've seen people pursue sinful relationships and then fail their college classes. It's like God intended for you to be doing your homework, and if you had done your homework, you would not have had time to be with the person that you weren't supposed to be with. And on many occasions, we're in trouble because we're not doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing. So sometimes the way you fight temptation is to say, where am I neglecting the things God's told me I need to be doing? And so that's another one. We flee, but we flee by doing the right thing. And then here's my favorite one. Never stop repenting. And that's part of salvation. It doesn't matter how many times you blow it. It doesn't matter if you mess up every single day. You never stop running back to God. God loves you. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He knows how you feel. And we never need to run away from God. We can run to him. And if you blow it 50 times on 50 different days, it doesn't matter. Keep going back. As a youth pastor, I used to hear people that would mock the aisle athletes. So you'd go to camp, and they would run up the aisle every year. They'd run up and receive Christ, and then they'd live a wicked life, and the next year they'd show up to camp and run up again. They called them aisle athletes. And I used to just think, don't ever criticize a person who feels convicted and says, uh, God, forgive me. I want to get right with the Lord. And you know what? You just keep repenting, and you keep running back to God every day until it finally sticks. And so we never stop repenting. And that's part of our salvation. God doesn't love us and accept us because we do the right thing. He loves us and accepts us anyway, and he forgives us. And there's never a time to stop running back to the Lord. So don't ever be discouraged because you've blown it too often. Just keep coming back to God. Eventually, he's going to put things together. And he'll do it in this life or he'll do it in the next. But God loves you. And that's God's mercy. And he's told us all about temptation so it will lose its power in our life. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your kindness. Or thank you for your mercy in explaining temptation. Help us to be people that avoid it, that see the destructiveness of sin, that believe you, that make good choices. In your name, amen.